Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? In 1938, Harvard began what is now the longest-running study on adult development to determine what makes people flourish in their lifetime. The study began with 724 boys. Some were from underprivileged parts of Boston, and some were from Harvard. Over time, the study incorporated spouses and now has over 1,300 participants because it's included descendants from that initial group. The researchers would periodically interview the participants ask them questions and gather data about their overall health, their careers, their income, their marriages. They would ask them about their fears, their hopes, their disappointments, and their satisfaction. Some of the participants have gone on to make lots of money. They've held very impressive positions and obtained highly coveted uh, job titles. Others have gone on to live what I think we would consider just a more normal life. This past year, the study's current director and the associate director published a book sharing some of the key findings that they have emerged over the last 80 years. The results were quite surprising in that there was one key element that kept showing up in the people who were experiencing the greatest levels of happiness and flourishing. Here's a quote from the book. Contrary to what many people think, It's not career achievement or exercise or a healthy diet, write the authors. Those things matter too, they said. Instead, one thing continuously demonstrates its broad and enduring importance, good relationships. They went on to say, people who are more connected to family, to friends, and to community are happier and physically healthier than people who are less well-connected. I love sharing the results of this because it affirms what we as followers of Jesus already know. We are made for relationship. God is a God of relationship. He is three persons in one. He is the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Holy Spirit. And we are made in his image. And therefore, guess what, guys? We are made for relationship as well. Tonight, we continue to see just how important relationships are to God. Not only did he design us to need relationship with one another, which is part of what we're doing here tonight, but as we see in these first 15 verses of chapter 18, he faithfully pursues us to have a relationship with him as well. What we learn from observing Abraham is the important role that we play in receiving and responding to that invitation that the Lord gives us. Tonight, I want us to consider our our position, our awareness, our hospitality, and our trust as key ingredients for a deep relationship with Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, Lord, tonight, I, I do, I'm so blown away by the fact that you would pursue us, just like you pursued Abraham, Lord, you still pursue us today because you want a relationship with us, Lord. Our group tonight was saying, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, you died, you sent Jesus to die for us, Lord. That's how much you love us. And so, Lord, as we look at this passage tonight, Lord, just open our hearts up to see how we respond to that invitation and draw us closer to you, Lord. 
And Lord, get me out of the way and just let your Holy Spirit speak and do the work in our hearts tonight, Lord. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, tonight's scripture begins with a picture of Abraham sitting at the door of his tent during the heat of the day. It's easy to look at this verse and just blow right past it because it's really just setting up the scene. And while it does help paint a picture of what's going on and where Abraham is, there's something really important here that I think we need to apply to our own lives when it comes to our relationship with God. To understand the importance of this scene, we need to know the location and we need to understand the context context. First, the location. We are told this event happens uh, by a place by the Oaks of Manry. This is about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. It's the Middle East, and if you know the weather in the Middle East, it's very, very hot. Because it was so hot during those days, it was customary to sit in the shade of your tent to keep cool. But this is where the cultural norms come into play as well. In addition to keeping cool, another purpose for sitting in the opening of the tent was to keep watch for anyone that was traveling by with an expectation that you would invite them in to receive refreshment and rest. In other words, what we see here is Abraham being available and in the right position to receive the blessing God had for him through these unexpected visitors. Don't underestimate how important this is, men. We must be in the right position as well if we are to build a relationship with Jesus. Think about the importance of relationship in, or the importance of position as it relates to success in a variety of things. You know, football kicked off this weekend on college football. So it seems appropriate to give a football analogy tonight, right? So your team is on offense and the defense blitzes and the running back is in the wrong position and doesn't pick up the blitzing linebacker. What happens to your quarterback? He gets sacked. Hopefully he doesn't get smoked, but he certainly gets sacked, right? If someone is out of position at work and they, and by being in the wrong place or in the wrong role, what's the result? The result is that the team and the company at large suffer. The same thing is true about our personal lives, guys. When we get out of position to going to the wrong places, spending time with the wrong people, and being involved in things that aren't healthy for us, trouble finds us. Contrast the position of Abraham to that of King David in 2 Samuel 11. This is the story of David and Bathsheba, where David commits adultery and then kills a man to cover it up. It's an egregious sin on the part of David, and it all starts with a phrase in verse 1. Listen. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. Did you catch it? Listen again. Let me read it. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent. Who was the king? David. Who did he send? Joab. David didn't do what he was supposed to do. He sent Joab instead. David ends up on a roof and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And what does he do? He lusts. He covet. He lusts after her. He commits adultery. If he would have been in the right position, if he would have been where he was supposed to be as the king of Israel, none of that would have ever happened. Some of you may be feeling like God isn't talking to you right now. You are wondering, where is he? Why isn't he speaking to me? 
Maybe the issue isn't where God is, but rather where you are. Think about the details of your life, specifically your friends and the things that influence you. I get it. Everyone listens to podcasts. We're scrolling TikTok and Instagram. We're streaming all sorts of miniseries on Netflix. You, you know, that's just what we do, right? But here's my question. Are those things positioning you where you can clearly hear God or not? Or is the noise so deafening from all those things that you're putting into your head, is the noise so deafening that it drowns out the voice of God? Guys, you are here on a Tuesday night at a men's Bible study. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I love it. Awesome. So you have a desire. If you didn't, weren't here, you, you wouldn't, if you didn't have a desire, you wouldn't be here to do fellowship with other men. But the fact that you are here Guys, it's not enough. Just showing up on Tuesday night is not gonna get us to where we need to be. We must stay diligent and continually assess if we are putting ourselves in a position to experience God. Full disclosure, I wrestle with this too, guys. For example, the past couple of weeks, my wife Jenny and I have been tossing around whether to replace her car or not. And without going into great detail, I will simply say that there have been times recently where my mind has been more focused on looking at cars than it has been on hearing the Lord's voice. And even as I worked on preparing this lecture tonight, guys, there were times where I was praying, God, just show me what to say. Just tell me what to say. And 30 minutes later, I'm on auto trader looking at cars. <laughs> I share that as an example of how quickly we can drift out of position. It's just that easy. I wanted to hear from God. My heart, I wanted to hear from God. I want to, I want to share what, with you guys what he wants me to share with you. But I allowed myself to fall out of position to a point where I couldn't hear him. This thought about being in position has honestly been really helpful for me the last few days. It's just kind of a little simple reminder of, am I in position or not? Am I in the right position or not? And so I hope it's a simple way to remind you guys as well that to fully experience the depth of the relationship with God that he wants with us, we must be diligent at staying in position to hear him. As we continue on in the text, not only do we see Abraham in the right position to receive this visit from the Lord, but we see that his eyes are open to see the opportunities around him. Verse two says, he lifted up his eyes and looked Again, it's easy to look past this comment and just, you know, move on. But to have a closer relationship with God, we have to lift up our eyes and see what's in front of us. I want to be sensitive here because I know some of you guys are going through a lot of hard things right now. You're in a tough spot. Things have happened. You've experienced sickness. You've experienced brokenness and loss. You're hurting. I get that. It's hard to look up when you're hurting. I know. And if that's you, please keep leaning in and know that there are brothers in this room who want to help you. There are brothers in this room who want to lean into that hard with you. And if you don't have anybody to lean in, then come up and see me, see Bill, grab your discussion leader. That is part of the reason why heart of a man exists is to help you lean in when really all you can do is feel like you just look down and look at what's going on in your life. But for most of us, we need to stop looking only at ourselves and lift up our eyes and see what is around us. We need to see the good things that God is doing in our lives and the lives of others. 
We need to see the people around us who need our help and then go help them. We need to stop focusing on what's wrong in our lives and start counting the blessings that God has given us. As I was preparing this lecture and thinking about my own life, I was struck by how many ways I'm failing to do this, guys. Rather than lifting up my eyes to see the opportunities to build relationship, I'm stuck looking at the ground and I'm caught in my own selfishness, frustration, disappointment, and anger. I'm just being honest. One of the ways is with my parents. Those of you who have been coming to Heart of a Man over the years, you may recall that both my mom and dad are dealing with some health challenges. In the past few months, we've had to put my mom in a nursing home and my dad is currently stuck in a wheelchair most of the day. He's having surgery in a couple weeks and we're praying that he's able to get back to walking again. What's disappointing is rather than seeing this as an opportunity to draw closer to my mom and dad, I find that I'm frustrated by my dad's attitude and the inconvenience of extra trips to Iowa. Instead of looking outward, I'm looking inward. And the longer I do that, you know what I'm doing? I'm just hurting myself. I'm missing an opportunity to help my mom and dad, to spend time with my mom and dad, and to just be involved in their life. Thinking of Abraham lifting up his eyes to see those visitors has convicted me to lift up my own eyes, to take them off of myself and to think about my parents instead. So where are your eyes looking tonight, guys? Where are your eyes? Are they looking up or are they looking inward? What's keeping you from seeing Jesus at work in your life tonight? Guys, look up this week and see what God has put in front of you. Would you just do that? Would you just lift up your eyes and see what God has in front of you. As Abraham lifts up his eyes, he sees three visitors coming toward him. And what unfolds next is one of the greatest displays of hospitality that you will ever find. We see Abraham running to meet his guests. He bows down to them and he addresses them with humility and requests that they stay with him. He's generous. He works hard. He involves other people and he focuses on the needs of his guests, not himself. If Abraham were alive today, he could write a book, he could host a podcast, he'd do a blog post, and maybe even get a series on HGTV called Holy Hospitality with Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not sure how well his book would sell, how many subscribers there would be on his, on his podcast, and how long his TV series would last. Because hospitality doesn't seem to be as popular today as it once was, nor as it should be when we look at Scripture. Listen to these verses from Romans 12, verse, uh, starting in verse 9 and going through verse 13. It says this, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, without grumbling. Be hospitable. Being hospitable is one of the traits that is required for leadership in the church. 
in 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.8. And think of Jesus himself, right? He ate with strangers, sinners, enemies. And on the night that he was going to get betrayed, he had dinner with the guy who was going to betray him. Regrettably, we tend to pursue comfort and ease today more than the joy that comes from sacrificially extending the type of hospitality that God intends for us to experience. As I thought about this story of hospitality this week, I couldn't help but think about a passage in Acts 2 about the early church. Consider what would happen if we as followers of Jesus today looked and acted more like the church in Acts 2. What would be the impact of that if we loved, if we sacrificed, if we shared, if we were as generous with our stuff as what the church was in Acts 2? Let me read this to you. I know many of you may know it, but let's, let's look at this. Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're more Christians in America today? Maybe we ought to be doing this. The Lord added to their number. Can you imagine what this would look like if we lived more like this today? I'm not suggesting that you need to go home and sell everything you have. And I'm certainly not up here, guys, saying that I'm living anywhere close to what's described here in these verses. But what I am saying is that maybe we need to alter our vision from the American dream to the Acts 2 dream. Bill asked last week, he said, what is the vision that drives my decisions and guides my life? Consider the following contrast, guys. The American dream. The American dream says, work hard, make as much money as possible, collect as much stuff as possible, enjoy the nicest and the best things, and be very, very careful who you let in or who you share your stuff with. The American dream is about a life of comfort and ease, and you are the center of it. The American dream has plenty of time for leisure, for vacation, for golf, pickleball, video games, but very little time for church, daily devotions, prayer, or serving others. That's the American dream. The Acts 2 dream, as I'm going to call it, looks quite different. It's a vision of generosity and helping others in need, opening our homes and welcoming others in, whether they can reciprocate or not. doesn't matter. The Acts 2 dream isn't in a hurry. Instead, it realizes that the attention and time are two of the greatest commodities we have, and therefore we freely give both to others in effort to make them feel welcomed and valued and loved. The Acts 2 dream is dedicated to growing in a relationship with Jesus through prayer, studying the Bible, and gathering together in fellowship with other believers. There's one other major difference. The vision of the American dream dies when you die. The vision of the Acts 2 dream extends into eternity. 
Guys, I promise, again, I'm not up here trying to preach to you, make you feel guilty, or act like I got it all together. What I'm trying to do is help us look at what we see in this story tonight and what we find throughout other parts of the Bible. Tonight, we see Abraham show incredible hospitality, including giving the best of what he had. He didn't give the leftovers. He gave the best. And because of it, he was rewarded with intimate fellowship with the Lord. He was hospitable, and his reward was fellowship with Jesus. Mm. We think about hospitality and generosity, and we think about giving something up. But that's not what happens, men. You, sh- you shouldn't be hospitable because you have to be. You should be hospitable because you get to be. You get to experience the joy of blessing others, of sharing in whatever you have. You get deeper relationships. And you- Excuse me, and you get to experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit pouring out of you. The devil wants you to think that you're giving something up through hospitality. But Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. So when we change our vision, men, we will change how we act when it comes to our hospitality and generosity. A final comment from personal experience here, guys. A couple weeks ago, Jenny and I had another couple over to our house, and I promised her ahead of time that I would help her get everything ready. I would not abandon her and make her prep the meal by herself. It was a beautiful night. So we had some appetizers. We sat outside. After about 30 minutes or so, it's time to get things out of the oven. Jenny goes inside. I stay outside, enjoying a glass of wine and talking to the other couple. I did exactly what I told Jenny I wouldn't do. I abandoned her and she felt like she was missing out while I was enjoying time with the other couple. Don't do that, guys. Don't do that. You know, as I think about this hospitality thing, I think sometimes as men, you know, and again, I know not all guys are married. I get, but like after I got married, I'm like, oh, hospitality, great. Jenny, yeah, that's, yeah, great. Awesome. (laughs) Guys, come on over. Babe, we're having people over tonight. Learn from my mistakes, all right? And again, I know, hey, some of your wives are different, everybody's personalities, but just be aware, guys. I just want you to be aware. Don't put hospitality on your wives. All right? Just don't do it. You be the one to do the work. You be the one to prepare ahead of time. You be the one who makes sure that your wife isn't alone in the kitchen while you're out having fellowship with everybody else. So who will you show hospitality to this week? Show them some hospitality. All right, the final element of relationship that I want us to see in this passage is that of trust. This interaction that happens in verses 9 through 15 is highlighted by Sarah's laughter and the Lord's response. You know, when I first read this story, guys, I was taken back by the fact that Sarah laughs at the promise that the Lord gives to Abraham about a son. No doubt Sarah knew that God had promised her and Abraham a son on previous occasions. And now when she hears it, she laughs. I mean, how can she laugh at a promise of God? In fact, we might even be a little bit embarrassed for her because not only does she laugh, but then the Lord calls her out on it. But rather than being critical of Sarah, I think we need to be curious and ask questions like, why does Sarah laugh at that promise? What would cause her to do that? As I thought about those questions, I think the answer is disbelief, right? She, She just didn't believe in the promise. Otherwise, she wouldn't laugh. And suddenly in that moment, it hit me. I'm like Sarah. I laugh at God too. And This broke me because I've read the story so many times and I've never seen myself as Sarah laughing at God's promise. 
If someone were to ask me, would you laugh at God? I mean, my immediate response would be, of course not. I would bow down. I would worship God. I love God. I would not laugh at God. And yet when I sat in this passage, I realized, while I may not be physically laughing, by not believing in his promises, I'm in essence doing the same thing. And I wonder how many of you are laughing at God as well. I would dare guess all of us in one way or another are because the promises that God has made, that we, the way we live doesn't indicate that we actually believe in them. I would challenge you this week, do a Google search for God's promises in the Bible. Read through them and ask yourself, does how I live today indicate that I believe in that promise or not? I spent some time on that this past week and it's sobering to see how much I fall short of fully living in the promises of God. Simple things like believing he will never leave me or forsake me, trusting him to provide for me just like he does the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, knowing that treasures in heaven are far greater than treasures on earth and fully accepting that my identity in Christ is far more important than what I do or how much money I make. All of those promises are true, all of them. And in essence, I laugh at them because I don't live by them. Pride, selfishness, fear, greed, all of these war against my desire to fully live trusting in the promises of God. So what is it that keeps you from believing in God's promises tonight? Examine your life, guys, this week and see where you are laughing at God and consider why that's the case. Recognize it, call it out, confess it, and then repent from it. Where is pride showing up in your, in your life, guys? Where is greed driving you to be selfish? Where is fear preventing you from doing something that God is calling you to be? Guys, we've got to identify these things, and we, you know, we're all a mess, and nobody here is doing things perfectly. So put pride away. Reach out to another brother, and let's help each other get through these things. If you want to experience an intimate relationship with God in the way that Abraham experienced friendship with God, then learn from him and do what he did. Be in the right position. Lift up your eyes. Be hospitable and keep trusting in God's promises. Men, we don't need a Harvard study to tell us what we already know. God loves each and every one of you, and he wants you to enjoy the richness of sweet communion with him and the fellowship of the brothers. He made us for that relationship, and it's through, through that relationship with him that you will experience more joy and abundant flourishing than you can ever imagine. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you that you came. Thank you that you pursue us, God, just like you pursued Abraham and you showed up to him, Lord. You show up to us the same way, Lord. Help us to be ready to receive you. Help us to open our eyes to what you're doing. Help us to be hospitable to the Holy Spirit in our hearts, but hospitable to the people around us and help us to trust in your promises, Lord, so we can go out and be salt and light to the people around us. Bless my brothers, God. Go with us now. Help us to live differently because we have you living in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. <music>